You're listening to the HR Mixtape, your podcast with the perfect mix of practical advice, thought-provoking interviews, and stories that just hit different so that work doesn't have to feel, well, like work. Now, your host, Sherry Simpson. Joining me today is CHRO at Paylocity, Jill Morrison. Jill joined Paylocity in 2022, bringing more than 20 years of dedicated and progressive HR experience. She has spent many years as a change agent and leader in high-tech companies, experiencing tremendous growth and transformation. Prior to Paylocity, she spent more than seven years in the dynamic higher education tech space, leading several areas of HR and supporting the business through significant private equity transactions and acquisitions. Jill, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast with me today. Thanks, Sherry. Good to be here. So you have kind of climbed this HR ladder, and I typically feel like that's a mix of, you know, strategy and hard work and maybe a little sprinkle of serendipity. I'm curious, you know, what's the secret sauce that took you from, you know, an HR newbie to that coveted CHRO spot? Yeah, I love that. Such a good way to put it, because I really do feel so fortunate to be in the position I'm in, you know, I kind of pinch myself a, a little bit from time to time. You know, I think if I look back at the path I've taken, yeah, you know, I really first have to attribute to the leaders I've worked for. Um, that's both the people I've worked directly for and those I've partnered with in the business. You know, honestly, I think they probably spotted more potential in me um, early on than I even believed in myself. And that was really really empowering for me. Um, I think I've always gone really deep into understanding the businesses I've worked in. I've never been that kind of behind the scenes partner. I wanted to be up, up front and, and, and at the table from the beginning. And I think those leaders saw that curiosity, recognized the unique role of HR to be in that seat and in those meetings. And they really kept those doors open for me. And that just, you know, carried through, you know, to today. There's nothing better than a leader or a peer who sees something in you that maybe you don't see yourself or hasn't grown to the level that you feel confident in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my own journey has definitely people in my in my space who've done that for me. As you moved into kind of your different roles, I feel like as you transition from role to role, it's not just, you know, hey, I got a new business card. It's often you have to really change your mindset. Yeah. You know, we talk about the Peter principle, right? Getting promoted beyond what you're capable for. The same is true in HR. You have to change that mindset. Did you have a moment, you know, either in your your role now or in previous roles where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. I definitely have to approach this differently. Yeah, for sure. I, I can give a really specific example, actually. So I moved into to this role, to the CHRO role and had a board meeting like my first week. That is a completely different interaction. So eye-opening. And it's one of those those interactions that you just don't get a lot of until you're in that role. There's not a ton that prepares you for it. Unless maybe you came up through the comp side. You know, I'd had the good fortune, um, really because of the people I had worked for, to have some interactions with the board before. But that was in private equity. It's a very different dynamic. You know, coming to public, which is, was a lot of why I wanted to, to join Paylocity. But um, it really is different. So it was this <laughs> mix of oh my goodness, I'm sitting in a boardroom with, you know, unbelievable people that I had never even met before, but also really fortunate because I got to join that meeting and I didn't own the agenda, right? So the chance to have the timing be such that a quarterly meeting fell that way that I could attend 
could kind of get that orientation was really fortunate, but also really kind of, you know, a little bit scary in the moment as well. So, um, you know, for sure, a whole different, a whole different part of the role. Beyond board meetings, as you think about the CHRO role compared to being even a VP or a director, senior director level, what is kind of the CHRO toolkit look like that's different from those other roles? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing for me that that's different is suddenly um, the decision making that comes with the role. So, you know, of course, you're still going to have the scenarios you're getting CEO, you know, approval, maybe or other stakeholder input, certainly, but the the actual ownership of decisions is different. And I've spent so much time preparing the recommendations, having a point of view. I've always had a point of view, um, but suddenly owning it is a, is a difference. And it's decisions that affect people's lives every day. It's not something I'll ever take lightly. I think, you know, for me, that means I ask even more questions. I look for even more data and people will tell you I already did a lot of that. So it really, you know, comes with this, you know, the privilege and the responsibility of doing that is at a higher level. And it's really like, you've got to own that. You've got to, you've got to back it in a new way and you want to really do it right. Did you have to give yourself any self-talk um, or self-motivation <laughs> as you went into those moments where you're like, okay, it's my decision to make. You know, I, I think we hear about this as imposter syndrome and I, I don't know that I super love that word in general. I think we all have moments where we feel super confident and in moments we don't. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's real, right? Whatever we call it, it's real. You know, I, I definitely have the moments where I, I get frustrated with myself. I wish I could shake it, but I also think, um, there's a really healthy way to use it. So it can be a really good reminder that none of us have all the answers. You know, I really appreciate anyone who's willing to be comfortable with vulnerability, admit what they don't know, ask for the help. Um, so I try to use it that way. You know, I, I will tell people that like, you know, I, I really need to understand this more or I have more questions or I need to process it. Right. That's a big one that, that I use a lot. So I really do need to kind of sometimes step away. Um, but I think more broadly, you know, if I'm really, if I really do find myself questioning myself, I go to that network, right? So those same people who've, you know, supported me, believed in me and been, been advisors and mentors to me over the years, I call on them. So I really do believe in the importance of building that network for yourself, um, maintaining those advisors, being an advisor to others, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. Sometimes it's my husband, right? You know, having that that group of people you trust that that know you really well and help you trust your gut, help you, you know, work through the information um, and, you know, remind you to believe in yourself for sure day in and day out. You know, we all need it at times and we all do it for other people, hopefully, too. Beyond kind of moving into a decision maker role, as you think about preparing to be a CHRO, is there you know, two to five skills that you're like, it doesn't matter what industry in or sector. These are the things you really need to think about developing and growing in before you get into this role. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I've been heavy in tech for the last, you know, 15 years or so. I've loved that. Every tech company is a little bit different too. You know, I think that the other industries, especially when I talk to our clients now, it's fascinating to realize that the different um, challenges everybody deals with. But if you step back from it all, I think the, the first one for me, uh, I, is really thinking holistically. So that sort of bigger picture thinking, understanding the overall business needs 
asking those broader business questions because you can't get to the right talent strategy if you aren't looking at the full business strategy. So I think that's really um, a really significant, really important one. You've got to go from the 100,000 feet to, to, you know, 100 feet all day long and have that ability to do that, but keep it in that context. Um, I think with that, just overall business acumen being data driven, you know, we've got to have make informed decisions, um, but not everything comes with information. Sometimes you have to predict that. So how are you combining those things? And then I think the other one really um, has to be really important is emotional intelligence across the board or however you want to, you know, think about empathy, thinking about how you read the room, put yourself in other people's shoes. If you're leading HR, you're you're doing that on behalf of every employee. So that ability to do your best to um, consider the impact for any decision, any action, any policy, whatever the case might be across the board, you've got to find a way to, to keep that priority um, and that that skill. Uh, at the top of the list for sure. As you think about those skills, have they changed in the last 10 years? You know, I think about how we are talking about HR now, which is very different than I think we talked about it even five years ago. But I'm curious at your level as a CHRO, what have you seen change in the last, you know, I'm not going to say 10 years because I feel like, you know, COVID gave us Uh, 10 years in one year itself. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of the, the, Core skills are probably still really similar, but how you apply them is really different, right? The world has absolutely changed around us. You know, we talk a lot about the expectations of a modern employee, right? It's fundamentally different than what that was three years ago, you know, to some extent, probably even one year ago. Some of that's technology-based, you know, it's advanced so much. It's everything from, you know, supporting hybrid and remote work to um, just to the reliance of having data at your fingertips. I think sometimes about... You know, you just think over the last um, several years how much the working population has changed. If you think about it in the workforce now, how many people um, grew up with the Internet, right? They never received a paper memo like I did. <laughs> they never had, you know, meetings that didn't automatically have Zoom or Teams or, you know, Slack messaging, whatever the case might be. We have to communicate across multiple different employee experiences, expectations, generational differences. There's not a one-way you know, one size fits all to that. So there's, there's, I think, more adjustment needed um, in how we get through to people. And then, um, you know, I think of the other piece that it can't, can't talk about the differences without calling out is just understanding the impact now of the, the, the future of AI. So if we think about both within our own functions, so what does that mean in the HR job, but also for the workforce, right? So you think, especially those in certain industries, what will that fundamentally mean for the impact on jobs? What skills do we need to be thinking about now to, you know, protect workforces, to adjust workforces, you know, be prepared for the impact um, both within our own functions, but also as we support full organizations. And that's really not something we were talking about even all that much, you know, two years ago, maybe starting to, to in the last year or so, but really, I mean, that's even in the last year that it's skyrocketed in understanding the depth of impact. You know, you talked about that 10,000 feet view and the 100 foot view. How do you stay close to that 100 foot view with the work that you're doing? Yeah, I do think it's really important to stay in touch. And it's really easy to think you're in touch and maybe not be in touch. So you kind of got to keep that in check. Um, You know, I really do put that lens on any decision of the different audiences, right? What does this mean for the um, early career worker? What does it mean for, you know, somebody who might be exempt versus non-exempt? What, what, um, 
you know, responsibilities do people have have in their lives? What are those key groups? You're never going to get to every single scenario. Everyone's going to be unique, but really trying to work through that and, and get to the right decisions. You know, I really try to, I do try to talk to people one-on-one whenever I can. I do learn so much from those conversations. Um, of course, it's not super feasible to talk to everybody regularly. Uh, so we have some really good tools here and practices, I think, at the Paylossi that we put in place using technology. So that's everything from using our community tool where we have open dialogue with employees and uh, they really have a space to ask questions and get responses. So that need for two-way communication at scale is really important. Um, you may know we also have a bi-weekly meeting hosted by um, someone pretty spectacular uh, where we have live Q&A, right? I mean, I, I think a company of our size to have such frequency of of live interaction and sort of ask me anything style um, approach is really special and really um, something that we put the importance on. So it does help keep the pulse. It isn't everybody's point of view every day, um, but really trying to stay close to that. So um, I think the other piece just everyone is probably doing more and more of is that engagement pulse. So we're bringing in more tools to do frequent pulsing, to to have a better sense for what's working, what's not. How do we take quicker action rather than sort of the days of the big annual surveys? How do we do that more frequently? So that's a big piece of all those things kind of coming together for your listening strategy, your action planning, your um, engagement management, and just trying to to have that at the at the front of decision making every day. A couple of those pieces you talked about really fall into creating and maintaining a great culture. Mm-hmm. You know, at Paylocity, we are blessed to have international employees. I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, for those that are listening who might be in organizations who they want to be CHRO with, you know, multi-location, multi-countries, what are some of those cultural nuances that you had to consider or continue to consider as you as you evolve in your own role? Yeah, no, it, it's really important. You know, I've been really fortunate to work in really diverse, really global companies over the years. Uh, personally, I spent six years living abroad. So I was in London and got a chance to be really immersed. Uh, I learned the hard way a little bit. Um, you know, I honestly think the biggest learning is that you just have to put your assumptions aside. If you're going into a new market, as we recently did here a little over a year ago, you have to learn about the area. You have to ask the employees questions about what matters to them. How do they communicate? You know, what are their priorities? They won't be the same as what you're accustomed to. Uh, there are a lot of ways to do this. I think every situation is going to be a little bit different, but I think cultural training and education is just as important as compliance training when it comes to, to entering new markets. You want to be successful. You want to, um, you know, make those connections across borders. You really have to be um, open-minded, really open to learning the different ways, and then really deliberate about the strategies you put in place to make those connections. You talked earlier about data, and and I think we all know that there's obviously basic metrics we need to be paying attention to in HR. But beyond that, what are some real critical metrics and indicators that you look at as a CHRO to help you kind of have a sense of what's happening in the organization, have a pulse and a radar on trajectory and how that aligns to business strategy? Yeah, yeah. So I do love looking at the data. I love digging into the data. So I think with any data point, and and I'll kind of share a few thoughts, you need the ability to filter into it, go derive the insights, apply context of what you you might know um, into it to start start cutting into it. Because what it might look like at a macro level, you need to get a little bit deeper sometimes to find the trends or find the opportunities. So I think that's always really important in how you're building dashboards and how you're thinking about um, the different 
the different ways to filter data or put it in the hands of those who have that context. But for me, there's always, I always start with what I call the employee landscape. You just need it to be really easy to understand the org structure, reporting lines, levels, spans, you know, all those pieces to, to get a sense for the broader design. And um, that then helps inform some of the other things and, and where you'll see opportunities. And I think, you know, you're still going to have your we're looking at engagement data all the time. That's, you know, super important. Having the trending, having a data point at any given point in time is one thing. The power comes with trending and how you're looking at what changes, what goes up, what goes down, what stays the same. What does that mean? And what are you doing about it? Um, similarly, attrition data, exit survey data, you know, connecting those to engagement data is where it starts to get really powerful, right? You can get a little predictive um, over time to understand what are you seeing in the engagement data and then what do you see pull through to the impact on, on attrition and how do you get out in front of that um, much earlier to, to prevent it if, that, if it's preventable. And then, of course, DEIA metrics, right? I think um, you've got to understand the key metrics, trends in the DEIA space. Um, what are you looking to accomplish? You know, what is your your um, set of expectations in order to inform programs, in order to um, inform strategies around those areas. And then, of course, there's going to be performance metrics, right? So you think about performance metrics, achievement on goals, you know, might be commission data, might be velocity data in, in tech. How do those then connect to engagement, right? So again, you start layering these metrics together. That's where you really have this, you know, tremendous opportunity to, um, you know, understand more deeply at scale what might be going on and where the opportunities really are. If you weren't taking notes with all of the metrics that Jill just shared, I, I encourage you to rewind and write those all down because that was such valuable information about how to think about data and to incorporate it together. So I, I really love you sharing that, Jill. You know, as we wrap up our conversation, I'd like you to imagine for a second that you're having a cup of coffee with your younger self before you've kind of embarked on this CHRO journey. You know, what's one piece of advice that you would give your younger self for somebody who wants to eventually end up in this role? Oh, I love that. Um, can be two things. I think they're connected. <laughs> I think, um, you know, for me, if I really reflect back, I think it's that, and I, I kind of touched on this earlier, you'll be ready before you think you are and take the help. So you don't have to do it on your own. It can be really easy to think you've, you've, got to figure it out for yourself. Awesome. Well, Jill, thanks so much for taking a few minutes of your day to chat about what it's like being a CHRO. Love it. Thanks, Sherry. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find show notes and links at thehrmixtape.com. Come back often and please subscribe, rate, and review.